Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's a soul anchor. Hold on to the hope it is Hello. This is the Soul Anchor Podcast. And I am your host, Vidal Moreno. In the Soul Anchor Podcast, we seek to anchor our faith in the truths of the Bible, while we sail across the sea seeking adventures where they can be found. One of the biggest struggles of my Christian life has been contentment. When everything is going well, I find myself wanting more. When things are not going well, I want God to take it all away. I am never content, no matter what situation I'm in. And so, we have embarked on a book study of The Secret of Contentment by Dr. William B. Barclay. It is the complete opposite of a self-help book in that it is a study of the book of Philippians that teaches that we cannot have contentment based on our own efforts. I encourage everyone listening to purchase the book and study it along with me. I will include a link in my show notes. In our last episode, we explored what it means to have heaven in our hearts. What does it mean to be united with Christ and how it leads inevitably to contentment? In this, our penultimate episode of this series, Barclay focuses in on yet another aspect of the secret of contentment. We are most content when our attention is directed outside ourselves. Let me unpack this. Our culture is obsessed with self-esteem. As a society, self-esteem has become one of our most cherished values. Our educational system is geared toward creating self-esteem in children. Individual achievement and recognition of excellence are not as important as making sure that everyone feels good about themselves. Everyone gets a trophy these days. Within this context, the world says that the way to happiness is to be yourself. The biblical principle, love your neighbor as yourself, has been reinterpreted today as meaning that we must love ourselves first before we can love our neighbor. In contrast to today's emphasis on self-esteem, the biblical message is that contentment only comes from not being ourselves. That is, we find peace and joy from being conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible is clear that every human being has dignity because he or she has been created in the image of God. But sin has marred that image. The goal, indeed, the end result for the believer is to become more like Jesus, who is himself described in Scripture as the image of God. In other words, Christianity is about restoring human beings to the state that God originally intended for them. 
In a sense, then, we say that Christianity is about becoming ourselves, not being ourselves. As we begin to see the character of Christ being formed in us, we begin to gain confidence and hope and, yes, contentment. The Bible uses the term glorification or being glorified to refer to the final state of believers. In that state, there is no more sin, no more death and decay. The believer is completely and forever conformed to the image of Christ, having radiance and perfect righteousness like him. Romans 8.30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, glorification is still future, though Paul here puts it in the past tense, because in a way, it is a certainty. At the same time, the New Testament describes the believer's conformity to the image of Christ as an ongoing process that is now underway. To describe this, we use a different term, sanctification. Sanctification means the process of being made whole again, which means to be more like Jesus. In other words, to be slowly becoming ourselves, our true selves. Final, full glorification awaits Jesus' return. Okay, let's get that straight. But the slow progress of becoming more like him is now underway. Our lives are a constant construction zone. Indeed, without this process, there is no godly contentment. The most striking language that Paul uses to refer to the believer's union with Christ is his affirmation of Christ in the believer. We covered that last episode. Christ in us means that we have a a, a vital spiritual union with Christ. Jesus dwells in every believer, and because of this Radical change takes place. Colossians 1.27 epitomizes Paul's message in this. Quote, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. End quote. The believer's relationship with Christ now gives assurance of the glorious inheritance to come. The Spirit is the deposit of the glory that we're awaiting. When we truly believe this, this is a great source of contentment. As Paul battled false teaching in Colossae, one of his goals was to see the Colossians grow to maturity. Let's read Colossians 2, 9-11 together. 
Quote, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. End quote. According to Barclay, Christ in all means the putting off of the old self and the putting on of the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Thus, to have Christ in you means to be made new after Jesus' image. We are to put on the characteristics of Jesus, especially his compassionate heart, his kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You can find that in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. We are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us in verse 13. We are to show Christ-like love to one another in verse 14. And we are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts in verse 15. At the heart of this letter is this great passage. Quote, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. End quote. That is chapter 2, 5 through 11. This passage beautifully depicts the heart of the gospel. Christ, even though he was God, humbled himself by taking to himself a human nature and submitting to death on a cross. He came as a servant, being concerned not about his own rights, but about the good of others. But notice how this passage begins. Believers are to have this mind of Christ without selfless service for others. The Christian life is joyless. Contentment comes in considering others above ourselves and giving ourselves to serve them. That's what Jesus did. Paul subjugated his personal desires to the good of the Philippians and their growth in grace. At the heart of Paul's discussion, then, he presents Christ as the supreme example of one who did not claim to have his own rights, but one who humbled himself and who gave himself 
for others. The point is clear. Believers are to live in humble service, considering others above themselves, pouring themselves out for others. This is the path to the joy and contentment that are so critical to Paul's discussion in Philippians. Joy and contentment come not in self-esteem or in self-fulfillment or in living for self. Rather, they come in living for others. Christ's esteem and other esteem are what matter. Humble service and considering others above ourselves are essential to unity. We can gain four truths from the passage, and I will end with this. Here they are. From a biblical perspective, peace with God, peace with others, and peace within ourselves are all tied together. But we are not alone in all of this. The Holy Spirit establishes a unity with other believers. The indwelling Spirit compels us to be united to others in whom He dwells. Secondly, when this unity is lacking, the Holy Spirit living within us prevents peace, which is what we all crave. The bond of peace is fragmented. Thirdly, unity in the body of Christ is part of what it means to be made new in the image of God. If we are to be the people that God has remade us to be, remade us to be, we must live together in unity with the rest of God's new creatures. And fourthly, lack of unity affects our growth in grace. For many of us, the Christian life and spiritual growth are simply between Jesus and us. But this is dramatically different from what the Bible teaches us. Jesus made a hole in our hearts when we became Christians, a hole that can only be filled by others. Ephesians 3, 17-19 reads, quote, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. End quote. Paul clearly indicates in this passage that the Christian faith is personal. The Spirit does dwell in the hearts of His people. But our growth in Christ, knowing the love of Christ, being filled with all the fullness of God, comes only when we are rooted and grounded in love and takes place with all the saints. It is a corporate experience. As we grow, we experience more and more of God's peace, but only in the unity and community of your local church. In John's Gospel, 
much of Jesus' final discourse with his disciples focuses on their love, union, and communion with Christ himself and with one another. He prayed to the Father that they may be one, even as they were one, John 17, 11. And this leads to the account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. In a tangible way, Jesus provides us the blueprint to live a satisfied, contented life, turning our attention outward to meet the needs of those around us. To the world, this act of washing each other's feet is demeaning and makes us feel insignificant. But the fact is that God uses insignificant people with meager gifts to do His work in the world, sometimes in ways that affect the course of history. The scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. Go back and listen to the podcast on Dio Moody. There was a man with very little formal education who considered himself as meager and as insignificant, but was willing to be used wholly by God. God wants us to be wholly committed to Him in the place where God puts us. There are no little insignificant places. Sister Maria served for most of her life ministering to people that had been discarded by their society. Our attitude is to be that of a humble servant who takes the lowly place and faithfully serves there. The important thing is to be content with your gifts. Be content with your place of service, but use your gifts to the glory of God. We can summarize this chapter by saying that the key to the Christian life and to achieving godly contentment is dying to self. Our biggest enemy is self. We were created to glorify God and to live for Him. But in our rebellion, we live not for God, but for self. Jesus, in a sense, died to self to save us from self. So that, I love this last line, so that we can die to self. Let me repeat that because I think it's very insightful. Jesus, in a sense, died to self to save us from self so that we can die to self. Here are some questions that Dr. Barclay would want us to consider. Number one, in what ways do you see the worldly philosophy of self-esteem and living for self present in your life? Why is it that this worldly philosophy can never lead to the contentment that the world craves? Number two, the life described in this chapter is essentially what we can call a gospel-saturated life. Why is a life of dying to self and living in humble service to God and others so closely tied to the gospel itself? Number three, have you ever thought of your own inner peace 
as being tied to your peace with other Christians? Are there individuals to whom you need to go and be reconciled? Make a plan to follow through on this. Number four, finding delight in God and dying to self go hand in hand. How does delight in God lead to the denial of self? And how can denial of self increase our delight in God? And number five, have you experienced times in your life when selfless service has led to the joy and contentment that Paul describes in Philippians? How can you make the selfless service not an occasional event, but a lifestyle? Next week, what a gift this book has been. We will wrap it up and put a bow on it. If you're enjoying the Soul Anchor podcast and would like to automatically receive the podcast every time I upload an episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Soul Anchor Podcast is also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The Soul Anchor Podcast Facebook page has the complete transcript of this episode. Like the page so that you can receive notifications when I post information about these episodes. I invite all my listeners to message me on Facebook or email me at vidmore at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. I get very little feedback, and I would love to get some feedback, positive or negative. Getting back to the podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, tell others about it and leave a five-star review because that will allow the podcast to get more recognition in the community. Till we meet again. It's a soul anchor. Hold on to the hope it is a soul Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.